So the weather, it has the weather been, it's over been over on the East Coast, freezing, 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 like in the single to small double digits this weekend. Today is 16 degrees. Um, <clears throat> and I had to get outside early this morning to go do some errands, like early errands that had to happen. And it's just that cold that makes you fucking cuss and want to murder people. leave yeah like yeah. it makes me hate everything so but i'm leaving tonight um to go to california which i'm so excited about to have some sun and what i was saying be- when we realized we weren't recording was um so i'm i'm arriving tonight at midnight uh into san jose and i am renting a car and driving to monterey and before we got on this call, you were saying something about like, God, I used to be this way in this week- weekend. I realized I'm not. And what I realized this this weekend when I was figuring out all my travel plans for the next month yeah. is such a, is such a stark contrast, man. I, a, I wouldn't have been able to organize myself to make these plans, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it goes on and on. I wouldn't have had enough money on my credit cards or in my bank to buy tickets, one. Um, two, I wouldn't have been able, like, I would have had to arrange my travel in such a way that would have been like accounting for hangovers or fucking up, you know? And I would have just had this like anxiety about not making things happen. I, the rental car thing is hilarious because I always had a, like, I still have this anxiety that when I go to rent a car in Monterey, in uh, San Jose, that it's not going to work for some reason. Like, like one, because my license won't be valid (laughs) or just any number of things. I had to remind myself this morning, like, no, you can do this. Like you're in order. And even if you aren't, you have enough uh, wherewithal to pull it together. That's right. But it's still the rent, like residual. It's such a, an old pattern and travel really brought it out. What we're talking about is that you are grown up and like, (laughs) well, no, but I know it. And it's, um, I just like forever had an expired license and I would go to the Avis counter and try and get away with it and then get Mm -hmm. furious with them when Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let me use my expired license to get a car. And then I would, you know what I mean? Like I just like at all sorts of things and right, exactly. Like not having enough money on my credit cards for, to buy things ahead of time before the, you know, before the expense reimbursement. And, um, it's just like, it's a terrifying way to like, it is such a living that disorganized, um, is really painful and shameful, painful and shameful and stressful. And And like, is it from the outside, but from the inside, it's just, you feel like you are like the, you feel like this is where I think there's a lot of times when you look at your friends and you're like, 
how did you grow up? Like what happened to here over here? Like, wait, right. how did you buy a house? What, tell me about that. <laughs> Cause I, I can't, I can barely uh, buy totally. gas. I mean, it's, and, yeah. and it's like, I still, even this morning I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. It's like, uh, because I would, there's no way before I could have traveled to California and not been hammered by the time I got there. And right. Like, and then I driving a car. And I'll be able to rent a car and drive the car. Mm. I'm not going to get to Monterey until like two in the morning. And that makes me an- a little anxious because like being up really late makes me anxious. But it's like, mm. it's fine. You're fine. Well, <laughs> you what can I, do what's it. What's really funny is I used to, I would drink the whole way there, but I'd always be okay by the time I got there. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me how, like I have no idea how I pulled that off, but mm-hmm. I would, I'd still be standing and go right into work or go, you know what I mean? Like I would take a red yeah. eye to New York and I would have like three glasses of wine on the plane and then I'd get up, get in a cab and I'd go into work. And I'd be fine. Yeah. Ugh. God, that makes me feel so ill. I know. Yeah. So it's just, it's like, it's so all, you know, the reminders keep coming. I mean, last week was such a wild week of, of that, of reminders. One of our friends went into treatment and, um, just, you know, being with her right before that and seeing like how a mirror of what it used to be, a mirror of what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And what we were talking about, what got us down this line of thinking was I was saying that I had a yoga teacher training this weekend and I was sick. And I'm sorry, Laura, I have sick voice again. You don't um, sound too bad. Really? Okay, great. No. Um, I was sick on Saturday and I was more what used to be the ultimate excuse to not have to do anything. I was, I mean, if I even had a shred of sickness, I would be like, can't do it. Sick. Sorry, guys. And the thing you said that was so telling and it's so true is I, I used to cancel. I used to bag out even on things I wanted to do and liked. Like yeah. you always want, wanted to be able to bag out. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I woke up and I was like, oh, damn it. I'm sick. And then I called in. I texted one of my friends who who's who's, uh, who's um, been through a lot of these. And I was like, hey, I'm really sick and I'm worried. This is what my concern was. I'm worried people are going to be upset that I'm coming when I'm sick. And I really want to come. And I sent the text message and I was like, who the fuck am I? Um, and then that, that was your actual worry. Like, yes. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, this woman came up to me. We were talking. She asked me if I wanted to go to dinner. And I was like, I can't. I'm going to bed. I'm going home. I'm going to bed. I'm sick. And she goes, you came sick? And I was like, yeah, I'm one of those people that does things sick now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So wild. <laughs> I know. Um, and anyway, yeah, it was cool. I used to always be, and if I would go anywhere sick when I was sick, I'd make sure everyone was like, knew I was sick and I was sacrificing, I am so you know? Sick. Yeah, it's yeah. really funny. Um, these little things that you notice, these very, very small, like, wins. Of big little things. Big little things, yeah. Which kind of gets us into, well, actually, do we want to do a little promo stuff? Take advantage of our. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Um, please, please. Please stop right now. Stop listening and go to iTunes and rate us, please. Um, it helps us more than you can imagine. Um, it's all that we ask. Um, please give us a rating on iTunes. Um, the second thing I want to say is if you um, are, uh, if you like wearing apparel and um, t-shirts <laughs> with cute sayings, we also have a store on homepodcast.org. And um, 
there, we are moving the store. We're actually cutting out all the stuff we have right now. And we're just going, we're redoing it and keeping just five shirts. And we're actually going to have different designs. So if you like any of that stuff, you probably have about a good month to get what exists there now, which is some good, like, I love the designs we have on there now, um, but we're simplifying it. Um, we have like 60 or 70 different pieces of merchandise. We're going to simplify it to five. Yeah. Um, so now is the chance. There are items that are going to be discontinued, like vegan they'll be vintage. Yes, they'll be vintage. They will be vintage. Um, the vegan feminist thing and the um, uh, you can yoga your way out of how fucked up you are and um, my mother's t-shirt. Um, what was it? Life affirming. Life affirming. <laughs> yeah. Which, that's all God, going. I have to shout out to Lisa from Texas because she has that shirt ooh, and she ooh. wore it to yeah. the retreat. Yeah. And it's really cute. It is super cute. My mom hasn't even worn it yet. You hear that, mom? I know you haven't worn it yet. Um <laughs> Okay, and then um, and then in terms of just personal stuff, um, the next tip sobriety school starts April twenty fourth and runs right up until before the week of July fourth, Independence Day. We do that on purpose, um, and so space is limited. We sell out every time. If you are interested in that, please get on the wait list for it. TheHipSobrietyProject dot com. Um, and then also, no, that's it. I'm just going to leave that out, uh, or leave that. Um, those are the things we have right now. And then you can always check out hipsobriety.com. Um, I have a store with a couple of educational material, uh, pieces of educational materials that you can do self-paced. Love it. So, okay. So I'll start with the things that you and I are doing together. We have our, our never not broken workshop, which is a recovery focused workshop, um, you and I will both be bringing the best of what we do, um, yoga wise, talk wise, um, everything. And we have now five dates on the calendar. One, which I'm going to tell you about that hasn't been out in the wild yet, but it'll be up later this week. So New York city, March 25th, Friday, uh, Saturday, um, Boston, March 26th, Sunday, May 20th in San Francisco at Love Story Yoga. Uh, May 28th in Chicago. And May 29th, Memorial Day in Austin, which just came together. It'll be at Suka Yoga, where I've taught before. Most, I think it's the most beautiful, beautiful studio I've ever been in. Um that will be May 28th, the evening of May 28th from 4 to 8 p.m. in Austin. The registration is not up yet. It will go out later this week. Awesome. And you can sign up for all of those on either of our websites under the events. So lauramccallan.com or hipsobriety.com. Um, yeah. Yes, please come. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I know. Um, I'm so thrilled excited. about what we put together. I was pulling together my music side this week. And oh, we got to okay, whatever. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so then yeah. I have a few more things too. I have um, there is a retreat in San Luis Obispo first weekend in May. We still have a couple spots left. Um, I have another retreat coming up in Colorado that is filling up on the beginning of June in Red Feather Lakes, Colorado. And one in September in Montana. Uh, all of those retreats are with Meadow, DeVore. Um, I also have a bunch of other workshops. I won't list them all, but I'm going to be in a few different places uh, like North Carolina, Portland, Maine uh, this spring. And then the last thing is the um, 
online sort of coaching community that Meadow and I founded called Path is open. Uh, we had our first class last week. Uh, it'll be weekly classes on Tuesdays. You can join anytime. It's not one of those things where if you join now, you're going to have missed out or need to be caught up. Um, so join. It's So far, we have uh, just under 100 people, amazing people. It's it's really cool. So that all of that stuff you can find on my website. All right. That's it. And now. Sweet. And now. So we've been talking about doing this episode for a long time. Yeah, we have. Um, but we finally, this weekend, we're like, let's do it. Ugh. So this episode is based off the game Never Would I Ever. Never Would I Ever, which is a drinking game where you say something and anybody who, <laughs> it's a drinking game, uh, anybody who has done the thing that you would never do um, has to drink. And so Laura and I are doing this in the spirit of we have done all the things that were Never Would I Ever in. Um, <laughs> and you can raise your La Croix. Um. <laughs> yeah, Amen. so for those of you at home that want to play, go get like 15 cans of LaCroix La, La and get ready and play this with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, why don't you go first? So we're just going to each kind of go through, I think, in, in a bit of a chronological way, um, yeah. the things that we thought we would never do. Um, and really that's what the spirit of it is, is like, whoa. What we the the places we found ourselves that we never thought we would find ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I'll go first. Um, when I was thinking about these, uh, to me, it hit me that a lot of this stuff I didn't. Some of the things I consciously said, you know, in my mind or whatever, I will never do that. But so many of them were like just foregone conclusions that I would never do shit like this. You know, I didn't, I had never said I wouldn't do it because it was so far out of the realm of what I thought I would do or be in my life. So, um, the first one though, that came to mind and this goes a long way back was I never, like, I didn't have sex. We've talked about this. I've never, I didn't have sex until I was 21 years old, which is, you know, kind of late. Um, relatively speaking. And I thought, I never ever thought I was the kind of person who would A, sleep with someone, have sex with someone that I didn't love or didn't love me or didn't care about. Um, and I never ever thought I would get an abortion. I mean, that was like, I think I wrote papers about how fucked up that is, you know, in high school. So I, the first sort of in AA, we call it the spiritual loss of values. For me, it was like the first guy that I did sleep with, I I did care about him. I mean, he was my high school best friend, but I he didn't give a fuck about me. And I it was drunk. I wasn't locked out, but I was drunk and I know it wouldn't I wouldn't have slept with him if I hadn't been. Um and I did. And, you know, whatever. I was in college, not the worst thing in the world, but it sort of set off this chain around sex and drinking, you know, that that would go on for many years and, and have me cross many lines for myself. And I felt shame, you know, immediately, even while it was happening, I felt shame about it because I was 
drinking and I knew he didn't really care like about me. Um, and it was sad. It was like a very, I mean, this dude just wanted to fuck someone and wanted to fuck me, you know? And because I hadn't had sex before, it was like a conquest for him. And, uh, I ended up getting pregnant with him, not off that first time, but you know, months later, maybe a year later, every time I slept with him, I was drunk. He was totally sleeping with other people and I knew it and he lied to me all the time. And, um, and I got pregnant and I, it's like when this stuff happens, um, and you know, everything about this had to do with alcohol. Like I would never, I wouldn't ask him. I was so ashamed of myself, um, sexually just kind of embarrassed about sex. I, I mm-hmm. was really uncomfortable in my body. Then I had gained a lot of weight in college after being really tiny. Um, I had gained a lot of weight. So I was always really self-conscious about that. I knew that he made comments to friends of ours, mutual friends of ours about that, about how I had gained weight. I knew he had said really mean things about me and like how I was in bed. (laughs) Um, And even knowing all of those things, I kept sleeping with him because I wanted the attention or affection or I, I didn't, I didn't have the defense to say no. Like it, it just became this unhealthy thing. And sorry, please keep going. No, I think it's also like, I know this so well. And I'm also thinking it's not even that it's that you think this is what you deserve. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, that was not conscious, but absolutely. I thought it was what I deserved. And Um, I just couldn't get out of it. You know, it was like the beginning of really bad patterning. And once I had, you know, this is a guy who um, like wrote, you know, I was the girl that was like sort of the unattainable one in high school. Um, And he, I thought like I have with so many other men since then that it would be different with me. Like he, I would be enough, um, for him to like, I'd be the exception to the fact that he was a total whore, <laughs> you know, Yeah, I would be the girl that, that broke him of that or that he, you know, couldn't do that with, or he loved me so much. He wouldn't, you know, and it, the funny thing that was so out of the question was I didn't even really like, I didn't love him. Yeah, <laughs> I had nothing to do with him. Um, so every time I slept with him and I, And I accumulated more knowledge about how he was, what he was doing when I wasn't around. I mean, he never was like, we're going to be together. It was never like this. We're going to be exclusive. We're going to be boyfriend, girlfriend. It was just this increasingly pathetic situation on my part. And, you know, I had friends that were just like, please stop. What are you, what's happening to you? You know, and his friends who would try to like keep me from him um, because they, they loved me and they knew what an asshole he was and I just couldn't stay away, you know? And then by the time I got pregnant, um, I was so out of, that was such an out of body experience, like finding out I was pregnant 
he was there with me that night. We were both drunk. I had to be drunk. I knew I was pregnant and I had to be drunk to take that test and confirm it. And and then just everything that, you know, that went on after that. It was like he never he he didn't want to have anything to do with me um, about it. And I drank. He would see me out like I had an appointment a couple of weeks later and he would see me out and I would be drinking pregnant, you know, and I knew I was going to get an abortion. But still, even that it's like this knowledge that I have this thing growing inside me and I'm drinking and uh, that hurt. And he would say like under his breath at the bar, say shit to me like, I can't believe you're drinking. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like what we both, I, it was just such a mind fuck. I haven't thought about this in a really long time. But all that, all alcohol was everywhere with that, you know, everywhere with all of it. And the day I had the abortion, I came home and I slept for a long time and then I went out. And I drank a lot more after that than I had ever previously. Like it, it was one of those times when it really turned. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the first one that I, that I thought of and, um, it's definitely a big one. I didn't think I'd be the the girl to do any of those things. <laughs> like nothing. Yeah. None of that was someone that I thought it was. So. Yeah. That's hard to hear. I know. Because it hits so close to home. And mm-hmm. I read um, Kat Marnell's book very quickly. It's called How to Murder Your Life. And um, I loved it so much because she's so lost and she just has no self-worth and no no love for herself and it's so familiar the things that she does I mean it's to an extreme degree to some of the things that I did but it's the same thread you know um and it's like reading it um you know a lot of people like some people have commented like um she's a little too blasé about, you know, serious stuff. And I read it and I think, um, she's just as hurt as anyone else. And the things that we do when we're hurting and that we allow to be done to us, there's no, you know, there's scales of, you know, there's shades of, there's shades of gray, but it's all the same stuff. It all comes from the same place. And, totally. and there's no, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to no, say it. Exactly I get it. Right. No, but, I get it. Yeah, there's a feeling and some, that comes with that stuff. At some point, you just start saying these things like about yourself that are almost like caricatures of somebody else, right? That you realize you're doing, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that's like for her. She just at some point you just it's not that she's blasé, but it's like if you're going to tell your story, you're going to tell <laughs> your story. Yeah, and it's uh, and everybody copes in different ways. Some people are just like, yeah, this is what fucking happened. That's right. So what's your first one? Oh, I have so many. Um, you know, this, you're what you just told. I mean, everything I've, I like, it's, you know, I mean, it's very, you know, different characters, same story. You know, I, um, I gave my first blow job when I was, 
17 on my dad's couch to my boyfriend um, at the time. And I had put it off for, I think we'd been together for like nine months or something. You know, I'd put it off for a really long time. And um, I think I was 17, maybe I was 16. And um, my dad was sleeping in the other room. Oh my God. He must have been 16 or 17, and um, I put a pillow over his face, and I told him he couldn't touch my head, and I'd actually like been trained by somebody. One of my girlfriends at work was a stripper, and she'd given me a behind the... behind. I worked at Whitey's Pets, and we, we sat behind the small animals, and um, she explained how to give a blowjob, so I was pretty good at it. Um <laughs> But I was like, you can't touch my head. You can't move your thighs or your hips. You can't make a noise. You can't nothing. You can't look at me. And um, and he was cool. He was like, all right. And um, and from there, I think I probably gave like within the next two years, like, God, 30, 40 different guys head. Mm-hmm. Um, always drunk. Some, one of them... I had a dream about last night, um, randomly, not him, but his girlfriend, Elise. I am so sorry. Um, my bet, one of my best friends sucked her ex-boyfriend's dick in a party at a party. And, um, she almost killed me. I love you so much, Elise. We are actually still fucking like in love today. It was a hard time. Hard go after that one. Um, that'll do it. That'll do it. (laughs) God. Uh, but yeah, so I want to kind of talk about that, but like, um, whatever, I don't want to talk about that, but I do want to talk about probably, um, uh, but it's just, that's what this, that what you were talking about, just like, it's just, it's like, you know, taking drugs, like the sec, like it just gets easier and easier to violate yourself, you know, like that when you, when you, um, when you start violating yourself, you know, that was, I literally wanted, that's how I got affection from men. And, and I used to think I was controlling men by doing it, you know? And, um, and yeah, never got a boyfriend from, you know, sucking a guy off at a party. No, never worked out like that. Yeah. So really surprising. Very. (laughs) But, uh, no, I think I think probably the thing I want to talk about is I was, I was in an abusive relationship and I've never put like words to it. You know, I never would have called it an abusive relationship while I was in it. But when I was in my mid twenties, I was in a relationship with someone that, um, was really controlling and, um, that, um, that psychologically abused me and and it was entirely alcohol fueled and my bulimia raged while we were together and and then he and then I told him about that and then he used that to control me he like moved in across the street from me and um and like we would just get super drunk and we would get like I mean we would get in car chases you know like we would go out to dinner and I don't know how it would always turn bad but it would always turn bad and then I'd run and get in my car and then we would be flying down like um, oh my god why can't I like the 101 like flying down the 101 shit faced and he'd be chasing me and trying to run me off the road and um, 
And like he would come over to my apartment and I couldn't get him out of my room and I would have to scream for my roommate like, um, you know, to get him out of the room and and um, and to leave. And, um, you know, and um, he just like pushed me in the bushes one time when when one of my girlfriends was visiting me because he got jealous and like. I mean, oh my God. And, and like the thing about this was, um, you know, like you see this shit on TV and yeah. you think you'd never be like, I'm watching, um, pretty, uh, no, no, big little eyes. Is that it? Little oh, big li- it's I watched so it this good. Weekend. Okay. And <sighs> I'm watching, you know, Nicole Kidman's character and I just yes, am like, yes. He's trying to control you, you know, and like it's like he's beating you. Get the fuck away. Or he's, you know, he's mentally he's manipulative and crazy. And and by the way, um, this man and I, I know, like whatever, uh, this man and I are friends today. You know, we like actually became friends years later. Um, yeah. And, um, um, have both, you know, come a long way, I would say, um, in our respective ways, but we were crazy. We were fucking crazy. And he, I allowed myself to be controlled. And it was interesting too, because from this vantage point, um, I can see also, um, how much, um, how much I got off on that, by the way, and then also how much that made everything else implode. My drinking imploded, my bulimia imploded, my drug use imploded um, because of uh, because of the dynamic in that relationship. And um, and it took me, you know, it took me years, years to get away from it. Um, I think we started dating in two thousand five, and I changed my number twice, my phone number twice. Um, and I moved out of the city that we lived in and I moved from Campbell to San Francisco. And then, um, and then in San Francisco, I, you know, would still like let him into my life. And it wasn't until I had been in San Francisco for about maybe a year and a half and dating someone else, by the way. And I think I picked him up somewhere drunk. He got kicked out of a club and I picked him up and put him in a cab. And then he like kicked, he, we got, we got kicked out of the cab and he came over to my apartment and like, just, I mean, it was just, you know, like so bad. And I, the next day I like put him in my car, I kicked his ass out, like wake, woke him up at five in the morning and like took him to my car and drove him in the middle of the tenderloin and like kicked him out of my car. And that was the last time I talked to him. Um, but it was yeah, just it's like uh, it's it's insane so when you think how long and how twisted it gets and how how many times like you said you violate you violate yourself well and and the worst part of it was like i wanted him back i was like in this web of like trying to push him away right trying to get him out of my life and i would pine for him and try and get him to come back into my life i'd push him away and pull push and pull push and pull yep. and um and at some point it just switched and it you know and he no longer wanted to be in a relationship with me um it was just we were caught in like the you know the dregs like the the like the last part of it the the sick part of it where there's a a web you can't break out of and it's only bad um and you can't break out of it it's only bad it's just like drinking dude it's like yes. it starts off it starts off 
you know, all good. It was the, it started off actually like the, like fairy tale, you know, it was yeah. like all perfect at the beginning. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I guess I would say like, I, you know, I would never be in an abusive relationship, um, or never would I ever. Right. Like, and, um, yeah, and I was, and it was really hard. Like we went to a therapist and like the second we sat down with a therapist, um, and then I went back to see her by myself. She was kind of like, you know, hun, <laughs> you know, girl. <laughs> and then I like went to yoga and I texted him, we're done. You know, I was, he was, and he was like, I'm going to kill that therapist. What the fuck did she tell you? And, um, oh God, it was so bad. I was like, we'd been dating for like seven months and we had to go to a fucking therapist Girls, ladies, women, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're dating someone for seven months and you have to go to a therapist, it's not a good sign. Maybe, um, maybe a red flag. Maybe a red flag. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. God, it was bad. God, it was so bad. I had um, to move too. like that was that guy, the one I was talking about was the one of the big reasons I moved to Boston. I was like, if I don't get away. out of this state. Yeah. I will not get out of this. I knew it even at, you know, I was 21. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. I want to move on. I, don't I do too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, none of this is going to be like, this is all heavy and it just gets heavier, at least on my side. So yeah, yeah. here we go. <laughs> that was when my drinking was under okay. control. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So the second the second piece here, um, I'm just going to say it's about lying. Um, mm. The whole theme is around lying. So, I mean, I never, I really never thought I was a dishonest person at all. Um, and I never thought especially, most of this is around my husband, my ex-husband. I never thought that I would lie to him. I mean, I never wanted to lie to him and I never thought I would have reason to lie to him. I never thought I would have anything to keep from him. Um, and the funny thing is it was on day one that I started lying to him. Day one of our meeting that I started lying to him. I can see now. Um, and it was because like I, we met at a party and I had been doing cocaine that whole night. Um, like I left the party to do a bunch of that and went to the strip club with the group of the guys. He stayed back and I, you know, that whole night and I never told him that purposefully. I never told him that. Um, and I, it started then, you know, like, so there, there was that. I didn't think necessarily that there was anything wrong with that. Or actually, I, I felt wrong about it when we, you know, as we progressed. Like, I felt, I felt that there was something wrong with having that secret. But I also was like, he doesn't need to know that. Um, and the, the thing about cocaine is, even to this <laughs> whenever, day. Sorry, whenever anybody says that, I think of Rick James. Um, <laughs> sorry. The... the thing about it is like he never knew that I did that um any of the times that I did does he know today though no yeah. 
I mean, I would tell him now, but there's no reason to. Yeah. Uh, I, he never knew. And lots of times, it, there was maybe a handful of times. It wasn't like, you know, I was never, I never had it on my own type thing. And I never like, but, but there were times when I was around him that I was doing it and he never knew, you know, me and his friends were doing it. He never knew. So that I feel still kind of gross about, but the fucked up thing is, okay. So, I mean, that's fucked up, but the, it, it gets worse because I remember going to, so when we met, he was in law school, um, or he went there right after we met, um, a couple States away. And so we went through long periods of time when we wouldn't see each other. And so, you know, I would go out and not, you know, he wasn't with me a lot of the time. And I never, I remember being at this party one night and this guy was, uh, this guy and I were doing cocaine with a couple of our other friends. I didn't know this guy, but I was telling him all about my fiance. We were engaged at that time. I was telling him all about him, how much I loved him and, um, he was like, does he know you do this? And I was like, no, no. And uh, he's like, that's kind of fucked up. I'm like, no, no, it's not. You don't have to know everything about, right? he doesn't need to know everything about me. And he was like, okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and I remember that conversation really bothered me because I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, but I also knew that this isn't a thing that you keep from the person you're going to marry, you know? Yeah. It's just really not. And, but I did, I, I, I kept that and, you know, I would keep many, many other things over the years. I mean, I, I won't get into tons of specifics, but I crossed every line I ever thought, you know, I know I, every line I thought I wouldn't with as far as lying and him lying and kind of everybody, but especially him. I mean, I never thought I would be the kind of person to cheat on her husband ever, yeah. ever, never. I mean, I just, I couldn't imagine that. And I was, I became that person. I, and I, it was so, it's kind of like the abortion thing. It's like you cross over this line always, always, always with drinking for me. Um, and it's like you have to pretend in a way, like you have to dissociate from it in a way um, to just be in your life. I mean, I had to. And then it made me, you know, I drank more because of that guilt. It's just the whole spiral. And then I drank. Um, you just keep drinking on top of the guilt and the shame. So it's a spiral that just never stops. Um and then I remember just having this sense, you know, at a certain point that I have this entire life he doesn't know about. Um, everything from from that stuff to, I mean, I would sneak drinks. I would sometimes do drugs. I would, um, at the end of our drinking, I would stop at the end of our drinking, at the end of our relationship, <laughs> I was stopping on my way home from work and I would get those little nasty four packs of wine, of shitty wine. 
mm-hmm. little tiny bottles. They're like basically nips for wine. And I would drink a couple of them in my car um, before I got home because I couldn't even, I could not stand to be in my life without the buffer of some alcohol. I just couldn't. And I would drink it on my way home and I would just toss them out the the window, you know, and, and I was so careless about it. I mean, sometimes I would just toss them into the bushes, like right when I pulled up into our driveway and he would find them <laughs> and be like, the fuck is this? Like, who's drinking this? And I'd be like, I don't know. That's gross. Um, and it just, it just added up, you know, it just continued and continued and continued to add up these lies that I still, I got to the point where I just didn't even realize I was lying anymore. I was so used to lying to him, um, that I didn't realize I was doing it anymore. It was like an instinct that if he was going to ask me a question, I was going to lie about it, even if it was about something really fucking benign. Um, and that, by the way, didn't go away until probably a year ago. In what way? Explain. That I would, because I had so much guilt around him and so much fear around him discovering my lies that up until probably a year ago when I saw even saw his name on my phone, I would panic. I would have this like surge of adrenaline in my body because like you were it was about like, to be caught. I was about to be caught. And, you know, it was like a hold your breath before you pick up the phone and just wait to hear what was on the other line before you exhaled. Um, and that it, that has only gone away in the past year. And it's been, I mean, we've been separated for five years. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, the lying part is really painful. Um, and, and I never thought I would be someone who lied. I never had a, thought I had reasons to lie. Um, it's, it's just particularly terrifying to become that. Um, even though I can see, I can see now why I did it. Uh, it still doesn't take away from the fact that it's, it is um, part of, I can see it now as a thing that I did to protect my drinking. Yeah. There were a lot of other reasons, but that I was going to say, big one. yeah, but that was a big one. I mean, there were, there were a lot of other reasons, but that, that was a huge one. I didn't, I wanted to, it was like if some, if he saw what this thing was actually like for me, Oh, he would tell me, I, you know, he would no know I had to see. stop. Yeah. No one could see. Right. But it's amazing the level to which you can deceive even the people that are in front of your face every day. I agree. Yeah. Lies. Big little lies. Big, big lies. (laughs) It's funny because I lied ever since I can remember. I mean, I I was lying when I was really young. I remember lying to my parents at a really young age. Um, oh yeah, I see that now too. I um, I was a liar um, when I was younger, and and in part because I was always afraid of getting in trouble because I was a lot because I fucked up a lot, not fucked up a lot, but I was just always like um, 
you know, I was like the kid. I was talking to a group of people yesterday in my Kundalini training, and I was like, um, did you ever have temper tantrums when you were little? And everyone was like, I was trying to explain about my niece and how we deal with her temper tantrums. And like, everyone's like, no. And I was like, and I thought it was so normal. Um, but I was just always like, I would do things, weird things, you know? Yeah. And then well, like, never like, want to, so huh? Did you feel shame like really early? Oh yeah. Like I remember one time I pulled all of the tape out of a, a cassette tape that I had. I would just do, I was very curious and I would just do things to do things. Mm-hmm. Like I dissected frogs, like little, I would catch little tree frogs and split them open to see what they look like. I mean, that's fucked up shit. And I would like, you know, I'd pull the tape out of a tape. So I remember when I was like, my sister remembers this so clearly when I was like three or four, my mom sat us down at the table and I chugged an entire thing of orange juice and I stuck my finger down my throat and I threw it up on the table just because I heard that you could do that. And I mean, this is, I was not bulimic, not to confuse it with that. I just, it was just because I heard you could do it and I did it. And, um, I like broke everything in the house and I just, you know, I remember like when I was in the first grade, uh, Sean Van Sickle, like was, and I were at a clay station and I took the clay, I made a bunch of clay balls and I threw them out the window and our teacher mm-hmm. marched us to the principal's office and I sat there and she asked if I had done it. And, um, mm-hmm. I was like, nope, he did it. And no guilt, no remorse, just like, you right? know, sociopath. And, um, the funny thing with that is when I would tell the truth about some things, like there was this time when my parents, like somebody and probably one of my sisters and my friends carved, like they had a hundred dollar calculator, their offices in the home and somebody carved a star in it. And my parents <laughs> sat us down for an entire day interrogation over this. Like we're talking an entire day. And I finally just, I, and I had not done it, but they didn't believe me. Right. Oh, and so when yeah. I would be, when I would tell the truth, I would tell the truth when I would lie, I would lie. Um, yeah. And I expected there to be justice, you know, equal justice. <laughs> for, and, yeah. um, and I remember I finally admitted to it because I couldn't take the interrogation anymore. I said, I did it. I got a paper oh. clip and I made the star. And then, and you, and you, and had I hadn't. And yes, because I wanted it to be over. And then later right. on, I tried to tell him I had it. And then, you know, all was lost then. Um, you know, and so it was it's funny because um, it was almost a, a, the pain was in how easy it was to lie, not in the lie. Yeah. But how easy yeah. it was to lie um, to my parents, to my family. You know, I snuck out when I was I mean, I just lied, 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 lied. And um I think for me, what has become, you know, um, interesting in this, this, I can't, um, I can't like I, I over, I over truth, um, at this point in my life, you know, like it's, uh, you can't stomach it, right? I can't stomach it. Even little tiny lies. I always, it Mm -hmm. always starts with the truth. And so, um, but it's interesting. It really, um, it really didn't, um, I don't know. It just really didn't. Uh, how do I say this? It was just not a um, line. Was not a, a learned art. It was almost an innate art that I had to unlearn because yeah. um, yeah. it came very easily, and it was and for good reason. You know, like I was just yeah. I was always pissing people off when I was little. Always, yeah. you know. <laughs> so yeah. I get that gives me chills because I I get I totally get that, and I. 
I guess I should say it's not, (laughs) it's not, I just lied on the podcast. It's not true that I never thought of myself as a dishonest person. Um, I just didn't really, I realize now in hindsight, I, I lied just the same way as you did. Like I lied to protect, um, I lied a lot to my parents. I lied to just protect, um, my, my, my dad's feelings or my mom feeling mom's feelings or whatever. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I thought it was like, and and once I realized how easy it was and that Mm. I could do it and get what I wanted, then it started to get a little bit, uh, you know, it felt that felt made me uneasy. But, um, yeah, the, the thing you said about like how the pain was in realizing how easy it came. I, I completely get that. It's terrifying. And it, that I felt in my marriage. It's like I realized how easy, how fast these fucking lies came out of my mouth. Yeah. And well, how damaging they were. Yeah. Well, it's just funny too because I always like had this idea I could always get what I wanted. I always mm-hmm. had this like sense that I could manipulate the fuck out of anything. Yeah. I always thought I was smarter than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say my um, my second one is um, I'd say dr- I'll start with drinking in the morning and then I'll say going into work um, drunk. <laughs> oh, 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 oh God! Right. Um, so drinking in the morning was this thing. Um, like you know, there's like the acceptable drinking in the morning, right? Like with your girlfriends when you're on vacation, having mimosas, like first thing, which I did. Um, or just like waking up in the morning and drinking all day, like, you know, whatever, like in San Francisco, this is not a very, it's not an ab, it's not like, you know, to say it's the normal thing. It's also not an abnormal thing. Totally. Um, Sunday drinking. I mean, it's like a sport. Yeah. And Sundays, um, Sundays, like I always wished I had an extra day, right? Cause I was never recuperated by Sunday. Um, Monday mornings were just like the day that I would take the break. And, um, but there's a distinction between waking up with your friends and opening up a bottle of champagne and then waking up by yourself and having a bottle of champagne. And, you know, this didn't come on line for me until way down the line. This is actually one of the last things and, um, a sacred, you know, a sacred pact that was broken. Um, you know, which was, I, I would start, I would just like, you know, kind of the way that it started was like this. I would do these weekend long benders, right? Like work benders. And it started when I'd had to close the end of the month. Um, you know, every month I would, it was hard to close the month. It was, you know, I like just the first time it happened, I remember my boss at 5 p.m. on a Friday was like, you know, here's the, you know, 20 something questions I have on the financial statements that I need you uh-huh. to investigate. And oh, by the way, let's review it. We'll review them on Monday. And I just remember going, <laughs> like, shutting my computer. I was at home working. It was a Friday. And I remember just walking to the, to, um, the Safeway and buying a six pack of beer and then coming back. Mm-hmm. And not only that, getting in trouble because I wasn't responsive to an email during that half hour walk because I didn't take my phone. And, right. um, and then just was like there, okay, Friday night, let's, I like lined it up, you know, like <laughs> Red Bull, mm-hmm. 
alcohol, pot, cigarettes. And mm-hmm. I spent the entire weekend in bed finishing that. Took all weekend. And um, and that was kind of how it went, you know? That was like when I just got used to it. I mean, it was actually my breaking point came, you know, five years later when I was driving or four years later and I was driving in a cab on a Sunday night to go work at someone's house. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I'm dying. So anyway, but like that was 5 p.m. And the next day I'd wake up and I wouldn't start drinking, you know, I would, but I would definitely smoke pot, um, you know, wake and bake is no problem. But drinking, you know, by myself in the morning was a little weird. And then it was just maybe a couple years later in the same type of pattern, in the same cycle um, that I just, started drinking in the morning as I was working. And the problem with that was you don't last very long if you start drinking in the morning. Um, You sure don't. Which then... Did you... Was this during um, like weekdays? Not yet. But it was like the weekends. And um, and then um, like this... Like what would happen is, you know, and mind you also during this time, I'm like, you know, like 20 pounds lighter than I am now. Um, so I wasn't eating and I was also like, I would, you know, kind of start getting into this thing where I would start drinking in the morning and then I would, you know, binge and purge and like, so I could drink more alcohol. Like it was just this weird game of like smoothing myself out throughout a day to get done what I needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And, um, the first time I got caught, my friend John, I had made a date with my friend John. What's up, John Cretelliu? I don't know if you're listening. And he was supposed to come to my apartment. I had forgotten that I had made plans with him. And so it's like, you know, maybe 11 in the morning. I had a six-pack of Heineken. And I I was just, it was kind of warm. It had been with me since 8 a.m. I was on my fifth. You know, the empties were in it. And I'm sitting, by the way, I don't have a bed at this time. I'm in my pull-out bed on my couch. My apartment is filthy. Um, and I am just working. And I'm on, you know, drinking my beer in bed in the morning. And John um, walks into my apartment just walks in and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, we made plans. And I was like, we made plans. And he's like, yes. Cause I was forgetting everything at this point, you know, right, I right. like never remembered like anything. No, grass. no, my friend, one night, my friend Sarah and I went to dinner and it was like a Tuesday night. And, um, I get there and she's like, actually we made, um, our plans were for Thursday, but because you flaked on me the last four times, I was like, sweet, I'm just pretending that it's Tuesday that we have plans. And so I showed up and she was like, you forget every, you know, and nothing was grounded anymore. You know, it was, I was a fucking full on mess. And so he walks in and he's like, we had plans today. And he's like, what's going on here? And I was like, I can't hang out. I've got to work. I'm sorry. Surveys the landscape. (laughs) I was just like, I've got to work. I'm sorry. And I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Um, I was humiliated and drunk, by the way. Um, So, yeah, it kind of went like that. And then it started to get to the point where I went straight to Jameson, you know, and um, like it started to get to this point where if I had any Jameson left over, um, I would drink to smooth myself out on a weekday. Um, and sometimes I would just figure out a way to stay home and keep drinking. And sometimes I'd cover it up and I'd go into work. Um, you know, and then there's that second part of that, which is going into work, um, you know, with alcohol in your system. 
And so, um, but it was just like, um, the, the thing that I want to try and articulate about this is that you see the line and you cross it and then you draw another line and you pretend, Mm -hmm. you pretend that there's no shame and that there's nothing, that nothing died. You pretend like this is okay and that you'll catch it and that this will be that this is nothing and you can always go back. Um, and Uh then you draw these other lines of what you won't do and you pretend like you're not dying. You pretend that and you go on with your life. Like it's okay. And like everything is normal. And, um, you know, and, and, and then this moves into how I would start carrying alcohol with me because I mean, I had done the like drinking in my car thing many years before, like when I used Mm -hmm. to commute from Campbell to San Francisco, I couldn't make it back to San Francisco unless I had a joint in my car, unless I had like stopped at a liquor store and chugged a beer um, because of the stress. But that was like just a, you know what I mean? That wasn't like, that was, that was more impulse versus compulse. Um, This was compulsion at this point. And then, it just fed into all these other things where I had to be fucked up. And if I wasn't, I was out of my skin and, and there Mm. went, you know, like I had to take airline shots with me when I would go to places and I knew there'd be a small window of time where I would be sober. Um, and then, um, there was a, um, um, a small, like, and then it turned into, I mean, and then it turned into, Like, just, um, you know, there was, I've talked about this before, but like, you know, the, because I couldn't stand to be sober, it turned into, um, you know, uh, walking around, you know, just, oh my God, I'm not even, anyway, it just, like, it, it was, it got to the point where I saw, and I've said this before, homeless people, and I got it, and I didn't feel much different than them. Um, Mm -hmm. I just felt like we had, you know, we were, we were just a bit of difference in time away from one another. Yeah. Um, Different lines on the same chart. Yes. And, um, and I, and I smelled very bad, you know, at, at, Mm -hmm. you know, like my hygiene would just go and I wouldn't, you know, and and then uh, it's like, it's like, um, just shelling out yourself, like basically taking like yeah. an ice cream scooper and scooping the insides out until there's just nothing left. Um, yep. And that's that's how it felt. And it's, it's a very astonishing thing to, to watch happen to yourself. Uh, it's a very, really very, is. very shocking thing um, to see it go like that. And you feel like you can't stop. You feel like there's no way out. No. So yeah, no, that's No, my- that's the thing. That's the really crazy thing, right? You feel like... Um, at some point it's like, I'm never going to be able to fix all that anyway. So, right. Like I'm never going to be able to scoop those things back in. (laughs) Do you you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I feel like I've, they're gone. Right. Like, you know, that there's almost at some point you realize it's like you realize, you know, that Alan Carr paints it so like beautifully, like you, it's like you, you know, you drink, when you drink, you start, you know, sliding into like a a pitcher plant, which is a, like a flight. It's like a, it's like a fly on a pitcher plant. You step into this trap and you, 
don't see it until all of a sudden there's you can't escape it and there's nothing to do but just kind of you know be eaten and consumed whole by it it's just a matter of how much time it's going to take for that to happen to you and um and that's I mean that's it it's like um but but I will say um you know recovery is is I've been messing around. I've been reading a lot more books lately on recovery and, and, you know, my thoughts are always evolving on this subject and I love this idea and I can't remember where I picked it up from, I think Mark Lewis's stuff, but just as recovery is development, you know, mm-hmm. we regress for sure and um, mm-hmm. go back. We de- we, we devolve. Um, right. But also then we evolve in ways to, you know, we develop beyond not just where we were when we started, but even beyond. So oh God. I don't feel even like there's, you know, like the scoops are gone, right? But also there's like that stuff was scooped out, but then what's replaced it is it's like, um, hmm. it's, I mean, I'm beyond, I'm not only have I recaptured what I lost, but I've, you know, I've, I've purified it and, and, and strengthened it and evolved it. And so it's, it's not all lost. It's not, though it feels, I guess the surprising thing is, though it felt that all was lost, um, all is never lost. And, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, I, in, in when you said like we devolve, I mean, I was just thinking for both of us when we start drinking is so early, like we didn't even have a chance to most people don't have a chance to experience the growth of their 20s and 30s. That, you know, it's like, I didn't have, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not like rewriting, like refinding my good conditioning or rewrite, like reclaiming healthy coping mechanisms. I'm building them for the first time. Like I never really yeah. had them. Right. That's what somebody right. asked me this weekend in training. Um, what were your coping mechanisms for that? And I said, uh, drinking, yeah. <laughs> drugs. I mean, from the, from the Food. time I found it, it was like, this is number one. Yeah. Totally. I don't know if it was, I didn't know if it, I don't know if I used it as a coping mechanism then. I think I used um, more than anything drama as a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. very young. I used cigarettes as a coping mechanism very young. And I used, um, yeah, cigarettes were like a huge coping mechanism back then. But it was not, nothing, none of it was good. You know, food was a huge cope, like food was my first drug, right? Like food was a huge coping mechanism. Um, um, Anyway. All right. Yeah. What's, what's so your third? My last sort of bucket of things is, um, which I'm dreading talking about because of the way I feel today, but, but I want to talk about it. And we've been asked to talk about it a lot more as of late, but it's all around motherhood mm-hmm. and drinking, um, all the things I never thought I would be or do as a mom around my drinking. Um, and this, you know, this stuff definitely falls into a category of, I never, I didn't consciously make these rules at any time because I never thought I would need to, you know, I didn't really consciously ever imagine myself as a mom to begin with. I was not one of those people who imagined, I never imagined my wedding. I never imagined being a mom, but I did have a sense of, like I, I knew I probably would one day, but I hadn't planned it out or what it would look like or what I would be like. 
that said, it was a, a foregone conclusion that if I was going to become a mom, I wouldn't be the kind of mom who drank and drove with her kid or, um, I mean, so it started before she was even born. I mean, when I was thinking about this as I was writing stuff down, by the time I had my daughter, I was really sick already. You know, I had already, my drinking had already become almost all dark. There was 30% lightness and, and, you know, fun and, and 70% problems and, they wouldn't, they hadn't manifested on the outside, but I was already very uncomfortable with my drinking when I got pregnant. And, um, I had already was deep into the lies that I just talked about. Uh, and I was already using alcohol very, very specifically to, um, cope with how I felt about my marriage to cope with everything. So, I was pissed when I got pregnant because I would have to stop drinking and I didn't find out until I was pretty far into being pregnant. So I had been at a bunch of big benders like while I was pregnant before I knew. Um, so that's an, I would never, you know, I would never, I never thought I would be the kind of person to be disappointed. I was pregnant because I couldn't drink. Um, it's something I would joke about with my friends. Like we all joked about that. Ha ha ha. Like, oh my God, you're going to be sober for, you know, you're not going to drink for nine months, but then it'll be so you can come back. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thought that was funny and funny and like jokey and fun. And we joked about that. I was the first of my friends, but I hated it. I hated that period of time, uh, that I couldn't drink. And I, it was the first time I had been sober since I was 16. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was 31 when I got pregnant. So, you know, I didn't, it was the first forced sort of period of sobriety. I didn't luckily, like I didn't want to drink through my pregnancy. Well, I shouldn't say that I wanted to drink, but I, I couldn't physically like do it and I couldn't in good conscious conscience do it to excess, but I pushed the line really far um, you know, I did all the research on how much you could drink without it being a problem when, um, and I pushed that I, you know, if they said like you could have one glass of wine, I had that one glass of wine and then I would like top it off. Um, and I got, and I, by the end of my pregnancy, I was Googling like fetal alcohol syndrome and how will I know? And, you know, I was like, all of that is so much more manipulation or obsession around this subject than I think most people experience. Um, I shouldn't say most people, but it's more than I ever thought I would experience or wanted to, you know? So it started to turn the lights on for me that like it started to make me hide how much this drinking actually meant to me um, at that point. And then when I, I had my daughter, I mean, I leaped off that sobriety cliff like so fast. I, it was days until I, I had some drinks, you know, after I had her. Um, and I never thought I'd be a mom who would like 
drink and nurse or, or do drugs. I mean, I did cocaine once and went home breastfed my daughter. Um, and then obsessively Googled, you know, what was safe (laughs) as if there is a safe, you know, allotment of cocaine you can have in your bloodstream while you're breastfeeding. But it's so funny because I mean, from here, this sounds, of course, unreasonable and crazy, but when you're not, but we know so much at this point, and I know this is going to, this might sound crazy in itself, but when you're in that stage, it doesn't like when I would see my friends who were pregnant, I'd be like, oh, you can drink. Oh, you Mm -hmm. can like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, you know, this is no big deal. And like, um, because you, your world is colored by this idea of drinking just as this thing that we do and it's normal, it's natural and doctors do it and blah, 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 blah. And so it doesn't, it's not hard to push that boundary. It's not hard to say, well, of course you can do this and you can do that. Like we're not, you know, full No, in fact, we push it. I pushed it. I mean, the level, the, the level to which I could keep up my social and drinking persona after I had my daughter was a point of pride for me. Yes. <laughs> it's like I, we brought her, we brought her to the party and we brought her to the bar. <laughs> I mean, she literally would be in the, um, what do you call it? The carrier. I can't think of the name, the carrier. And like, you know, at months old could be in the carrier while I was at the bar. And everyone was like, that's so great, you know? Like, But this is so- the comp. This is not like crazy because it's so acceptable. It's so accepted. And yep. there's this like, I don't know if you ever watched The League. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, but it's the, the mother in it, Jenny, is um, like, um, you know, uh, she's going out and getting shit faced and then coming back and trying to breastfeed. And it's so funny. Um, mm. And the mother-in-law, her mother-in-law is like on her and just like saying, you got to dump and you can't, you know, um, but the, but the, the, the thing with this is that it's, um, it is once you get on the other side of it, like we are like, it's just not like, it's not, you know, like all of the things that go into it, like the, you know, wine o'clock and the mommy juice, it's not funny anymore. It's not funny. It's, it's disgusting funny. and it's sad and it's criminal and all of the things. It's a drug. It's a fucking drug, but we don't see that in this, it, like in this side of like before you're exposed to it, right before you take the blue pill, it's very like, whatever, you know, even oh, people no. that would never do that are still like not, you know, it's just a very, it's such a weird thing. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to hijack, but I just, I find it fascinating. Like, of course you thought that was normal. Of course you did that. And of, of course it was a point of pride. It would have been mm-hmm. for me too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of yeah, my friends a- who didn't have drinking problems, you know? Yeah, no, it was a point of pride and it was a, um, you don't know how sick you are. You just don't know. I didn't know how sick I was. I didn't know how far in I was. And because my behavior didn't look that like different than my friend's behavior. I mean, all my friends were doing that same stuff. We had wine play dates and we had at every party, birthday party from the first birthday on, there was alcohol served. And if there wasn't, it was a lame party. And so, no, it's not... I. I, yeah, I didn't see that, but you know what? I didn't see it. Um, 
because there is enough evidence to support it in our society as being normalized and fine and even cool. But internally, I didn't, I had alarms going off all the time. I had those, sure. those quiet messages, those, those nagging scratches that this isn't okay. This isn't okay. This isn't okay. You know? Um, but by then, so there's just a couple more things, you know, I mean, I've talked, I won't go through all this stuff around my daughter, but, um, it's by far the most appalling to me and the most shameful, um, parts of where drinking took me and the things that I said I would never do. I mean, I, I, I never planned to be, a, I never thought I would be a mom who there was this one little time that always sticks in my mind. Um, and it was towards the end of my drinking. It was like the, the same summer right before I got my DUI. We were at um, a party like a couple miles away. Um, it was a, like on the beach. It was me and my friend and I had brought Alma with me and she was four at the time. And we went out on the beach and it was like a summer or early summer, you know, um, beach thing where it was like everyone was drinking. It was tons of kids around and had dinner. It was lots of fun. And I don't, I remember feeling really drunk after not drinking that much and just, um, I shouldn't have gotten into my car. I knew that, but I wanted to get home. And, um, I, my friend walked us out to my car and, you know, Alma was behind me and I opened the, her side, you know, her, the back seat where she got in, where her car seat was, I opened it and I opened it so fast that it hit her little cheek. Um, and it gave her a bruise, like a little bruise, you know, and she was crying, like it hurt. And that's the kind of stuff like that could have happened to anybody. It could happen now, I guess it could happen sober, but it didn't, it wouldn't have happened if I was so, you know, I knew that it happened because I was drinking and I, I knew that the thing that was alarming was not that it happened, but how eager I was to brush it off, um, and just play it off. And like my friend was like, Oh God, ow, you know? And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, Beanie, you know, just stick her in the car and how, how fast I was to just move on from that. And, and it haunted me, you know, like, this little girl's got like she was in the backseat with her little puffy cheek and crying because of that. And it's like a thousand little things like that that just add up that could be really benign. Um, but they aren't, you know, you like, I don't stuff like that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, so it's the, it's, or it's if all it the happens, ways you have this, like if it does happen, it's there's honest. not this, it's honest and there's not this thing attached to it. Right. That's right. Yes, exactly. It's clean. It's clean. It's like I made a, a mistake yeah. and it's really like that with everything now. Right. Like we yes. still fuck up, still make total mistakes, but there's it. I know when I've made a mistake now, it's not because I'm hungover or I was drinking or I'm, it has nothing to do with it. It doesn't that. have the second shame attached to it. Exactly. And so, yeah, I never, um, I mean, I never, ever, ever thought I would be that 
kind of mom. I just, none of us do. None of us do. Um, and that, those nevers that, you know, crossing those lines are the, um, the hardest to reconcile with for sure. Uh, when, when we get sober, I mean, they took the longest for me to, to be okay with, to forgive myself for. Um, I do, I want to say though, because I know people are, all the moms who are listening who are maybe still drinking and just feeling like shit right now, you know, I have forgiven myself. I can truly say I've forgiven myself for all of that stuff um, through through the process of being sober, through the process of doing a lot of work. But I thought that stuff would never be okay. I thought it would never be okay. Um, I would never get, you know, be able to truly forgive myself for being a drunk mom. Um, but I, but I do, I, I do. Yeah. So I love you. I love you too. What's your last one? Mm. I'm going to mix a couple of them again. Um, I think probably the thing that was like, um, I want to say it was kind of the most shocking. Um, let's just stop giving a fuck about my appearance. Did that happen to you? Uh, I have this weird thing where I, I go, no, I never really stopped caring about my appearance. If anything, I kept it up because it was like one way I had to show everybody I was okay. I look at pictures of myself even at the very end. I was like, I look good. Like, what was I, how I did I look? I still was at- able to look good and I still pulled it off. There is a picture like one month, like one of the best pictures I've ever taken was a month before that. But that is to say, I want to say, I need like maybe to explain it is I did, I stopped caring if people saw me puffy. I mean, because mm. a, a bulimic episode of the proportions that it was for me at the end, if you can imagine this, it's like, mm. Um, you know, over, let's just take like a three or four day period, you know, in three or four days, let's say four days, I would have consumed, let me do the math. Um, I would have consumed about probably 12 to 16, the equivalent of 12 to 16 bottles of wine. Okay. (laughs) And then it would have been about probably about like four to $500 in food, sometimes more. Um, like we're talking, you know, like sticks of butter, loaves of bread, boxes of cereal, um, you know, like, you know, four pizzas, like, um, and so the, the process of that is putting intake and then, you know, going to the bathroom and, um, you know, and I mean, purging toilet bowl after toilet bowl after toilet bowl of food mm-hmm. and, um, your water, like your, your, like everything gets messed up from it. Like you get bruises in your temples. I would get bruises on my temples. Um, I would get, um, and, and for the most part, just the, from the, throwing up mm-hmm, from the pressure in my head, um, of it. God. Yeah, I get like the you could just see like on my forehead, like on the like around like around my forehead, I would get these bruises, very telltale signs. Mm. Um, but the main thing that would happen is my water balance would be so jacked. Um, this mm. is why Bikram was great because it would like you know somewhat bring it back into balance. But um, I'll I'll have to send you a picture. Um, 
I like I showed up to Hawaii in 2011 and my sister, I mean, I just looked like there was no form to my, to my face. There was no definition yeah. to my face. Um, it was, a, it was a sack <laughs> and it was red. Yeah. And so I would go into work like this and I would know it, but I would mm-hmm. pretend. And also I would go in and out of rosacea sometimes from the, you know, like mm-hmm. I would just have these very hot periods for inflammation. I would have like, like, like I would just be red and bloated. I looked like, um, Charlize Theron and monster. Like I could have oh, pulled gosh. that off. All I had to do was grease my hair back and I was easily that. Um, so yeah. So I, I think like there's that part of it, which is I would just, I was like, fuck it. I look like shit and I know it. But the other part of it was, um, I lost my sense of woman of, of, of my femininity, my, like mm-hmm. I was unfuckable and I was, um, I mean, I was ble- my, you know, I was bleeding out my ass. Um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, um, like coughing up black mucus. Um, I yeah. was, I, my bed, my mattress, you guys, you saw a picture of my mattress. Uh, it was just filth. My, like I was filthy and I, um, Oh God, you know, like we talked about this the other day, I was like procrastinating. So I masturbated and I was laughing about it and I was like, (laughs) I texted you (laughs) and I never do that anymore. I like, I rarely will break up the day with a good masturbation (laughs) session because I don't want to write. But I would. I was like, really? <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I save it for night, like, like like all the good Christian women do. I don't know. Um, I but I I ended up. Um, I would go through this period, like in the like the thick of it. I would sometimes masturbate like five or six times a day. And I wrote you, God, I wish I could find that text yeah. message. Um, but I basically said I had to do a masturbation break. That's when I know things are bad. It's like, what else can I do besides write a newsletter? And you go, LOL, <laughs> not me. I'm like, is it okay if I masturbate again? Will a kitten die? <laughs> Sorry, can I say this? <laughs> oh and I say, how many times is too much? LOL, ha ha ha. And you go, I don't know, more than two in a day. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. And I said, yeah, I used to gulp do it like five times in a day when I was on a bender. So I'm like, once we are fine with once over here. And you said, uh, yeah. And I said, that's one for the, I've never episode. Oh, good. So we're on track. Quote, stayed in bed on a Sunday in the same clothes from Friday and masturbated seven times with fingers covered in teriyaki sauce. (laughs) Hashtag. That's when you lost me. I was like, gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. I I mean, like to get to the back to the point of it, like it was like um, I had lost all sense of like this like feminine and and also like humanness. Um, mm-hmm. I was like a um, satisfy me monster, and like anything yeah, like, I could you're do, like a pleasure fucking monger like just right because you go I mean we know what happens to your brain like we know what's going on at this point which is just like there's like you have to have these like like everything you do has to have some sort of pleasure tinge to it you can't just be um so deeply uncomfortable but like so yeah so I mean it was just kind of like these these things of like allowing myself out in public with this appearance that was just very 
awful um, and very like against, you know, I mean, like not even like, oh, it wasn't pretty. It was like, no, you look sick. And I was just like, whatever. A woman, um, my one of my um, uh, an interior designer uh, girlfriend that used to work for the company I worked like she uh, contracted with the company that I worked with. Um, when I, she wrote me after I came out and she said, I remember seeing you a year ago and just saying, um, going to my sister cause her twin sister was one of my employees at, at another time and saying something's wrong with Holly. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so yeah, so the, that to move, moving towards this place of, um, just, you know, um, being, being like like absolutely like having lost any sense of, of being um Ugh, i know a human. i know it was an animal i mean that's what it felt well, like yeah and it's it's like not even human. it's like um dignity no <laughs> what was that right that uh, was right. gone i mean it wasn't like 100 percent gone it came up in places like i still I still rocked mm, my job, same. you know, like yep, I still was like the master of my master of my domain, <laughs> masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still master like of my domain there. Like that was where it was still held together and I still presented, you know, and I had dignity in that role and that, in that, in that way, but everywhere else it was just like, um, it's just, it was gone. Self-respect and all those things gone. And I just, I know. I no felt like I had no chance of being anything connected to anything. I know connected. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, so, I know. <clears throat> so this is great. It's great. This is great. Super I feel happy great. episode. I don't feel bad. You I know, it's funny. Gonna, I don't no, feel happy talking important. about it. Um, I feel very. I do want to say. Good. I feel like it's a cool <laughs> thing that we because we started out kind of mm-hmm. saying like. I would never be the kind of person to do masturbate seven times know, in a day with teriyaki fingers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, we started by saying like, you were like, I was never the kind of person who would actually show up sick. And I was like, I was never the kind of person who would actually be able to execute complicated travel plans. Yeah. Sober, you know, I mean um, that that's the cool stuff. That is. The, and that was an accident. Right. What? That's and that was an accident that we talked about that, but that's true. Now I it's know. like back I then I would have said, you know, like I, I exactly, I, would, I the same. I would never have been shown up sick, and I would have never been able to execute a complicated travel itinerary, um, you know, without like overdrawing my bank account and missing at least one plane, and you know, at least one plane, and and, and miss planes all the time. Did you used to miss planes all the time? Ugh. <laughs> I missed, you know, what's the funniest? I missed the most ridiculous plane. I missed a plane that I had two hours to catch because I got drunk. Yeah. Um, and then when I did catch it, I left without my purse. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Whoa. I missed planes. Never did I that. I missed planes. I was always I've pushing it right that. to the edge of yeah. when I could get on. I didn't um, do that. I would just be more like, let me let me rephrase it because I never actually missed a plan. I'm a little too OCD for that. I missed them in terms of I would actually just not go on the trip. Um, right. Like if I was going to the airport, I'd be there on time. But I would just like be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Or I would like push up. I'd be at home on a Sunday and I'd supposed to go to New York on a Monday and I'd be like, I'm going to go a day later so I can spend one day that I have like in bed you know, drinking, recovering. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say recovering, but it always ended up being drinking. 
You remember that too when you were sick? When you were sick, did you ever like just, you were like, I'm going to rest, but then you'd go home and your resting included like, you know, getting fucked up? A couple bottles of wine? Yeah. Always. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We could just go on forever, but I think that's enough. Um, I feel good. Like, mm-hmm. I know this is heavy stuff, but I think it's a testament. Like, um, it's, it is heavy. It's like syrup, you know, it's like drinking syrup going through this stuff, but also, mm-hmm. um, it is, um, it's not me and it's not, like, live. it's not where I live anymore. And I like, and I love that girl that had to go through all that stuff, you know, like I feel her pain. Oh my God. Because she, she is what made me this, you know, That's so right. it's, That's right. it's awful. We have to go through these things, but I mean, the truth is that it all adds up to be, to allow us to become the humans that we are so that we can talk to somebody and understand yeah, I know what that's like. I get that. Like, I know everything you talked about, even though I'm not a mother, even though, you know, I've never been married. I know your pain. Like, I know your pain. Yeah. And, and we all think that our, you know, that we're the worst. We're the worst. Right. Especially before we go into this, we think we are the absolute worst. And you figure out pretty quickly that <laughs> you're in good company. <laughs> you're in good Everyone's company. Thoughts. Like, there's no shocking story and there's no original thought either you know you're not the only one to think that you're a complete piece of shit no it's true that's why again going back to Kat Marnell's book it's um like I really get it I really get like it's it makes me you know I, I could see how somebody could pick it up and be like oh my god but I when I'm reading it I'm just like I feel you girl like I get you I see that I know that even though our stories are so different I so understand the things that 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 lay down there that that lay underneath it. So, anyway, God, me too. Okay, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I love you. <laughs> you too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to send you this poem. I kind of want to read it. Oh, you want to read it now? Yeah, I want to read it. I'll leave people with a little poetry. So, the um, so. My teacher, David Vendetti, read this at the end of his yoga class yesterday. I I woke up really early and I thought, I'm going to go to David's class because I can. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, not just because it's a great class, but this poem was worth that I would have paid a lot of money to hear this. Um, so it's called No Reservations by Nikki Giovanni. And she's talking about reservations like the kind you make at a restaurant. <laughs> so it goes... There are no reservations for the revolution. No polite little clerk to send notice to your room saying you are wanted on the battlefield. There are no banners to wave you forward. No blaring trumpets. Not even a blue note to the Yoremba drums saying strike now shoot. Strike now fire. Strike now run. There will be no grand parade and a lot thrown around your neck. People won't look up and say, why, he used to live next to me. Isn't it nice? It's his turn now. There will be no recruitment station where you can give the most convenient hours. Monday, Wednesday, I play ball. Friday nights, I play cards. Any other time, I'm free. There will be no reserve of energy, no slacking off till the next time. Let's see, I can come back next week. Better to not wear myself out this time. There will only be reservations if we fail. That's it. 
That's beautiful. I thought you had written a poem. I know. No, I haven't written a poem in a while. Maybe I'll write one on the plane. Yeah. Okay. So that's all. All right. I love you. I love you too, baby. Bye. Bye. Infinitely so